a Ratio Marketing Podcast. When I first went into healthcare as a CIO, it wasn't uncommon for me to have a meeting at 10 a.m. to talk about surgery. At noon, I'm talking about oncology. At one o'clock, I'm talking about supply chain. Two o'clock, I'm meeting with the vendor and talking uh, enterprise architecture. Three o'clock, I'm talking food services because we have food services in every one of our hospitals. And at 4 p.m., I'm sitting down with a CFO for a multi-billion dollar organization, and we're talking budget and finance. So hopefully I painted the picture for why I believe it's one of the hardest roles, period, out there. Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial? Someone you could call to validate your product market fit. Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix, a podcast to help you see your market clearly. We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the healthcare market matrix. Welcome back to Ratio Studios, everyone, for another episode of Healthcare Market Matrix. Today, we have a special treat for you. We're going to revisit another one of our most popular episodes to date, featuring none other than Bill Russell. This is really a must listen for those of you who might be new to our show. Bill is the founder and podcast host of This Week Health. But before that, he was the CIO of St. Joseph's Health. He's an experienced healthcare CIO. And on this episode, we talked about the unique challenges CIOs face in deploying healthcare solutions. We look at AI's impact on healthcare and much more. It's a conversation filled with lots of insights. And we are, and as we're all planning for Q1 and Q2, we know you're well on your way to preparing for the new year. And Bill underscores several ideas that you're going to do well to carry with you and incorporate into your strategies moving forward. So without further ado, let's dive into this great conversation. Bill, welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. John, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And, uh, I, you know, anytime you hear your introduction, um, it makes you feel old. And you know, <laughs> listening to my introduction, I'm like, wow, it seems like forever ago that I was a CIO for St. Joe's. And you know, some of the other stuff you didn't mention, I was 20 plus years in consulting prior to that. And um, you know, you just, o- over time, you just get a uh, different perspective on things, I, I believe. Well, and that's part of why you're here because there's been, <laughs> you've, you've lived to tell the tales. There's, there's been a lot in that, uh, in that tenure, but uh, really grateful for you joining us here today. And, you know, I, I know that you've been in a number, like we mentioned, the number of leadership positions over your career, but as we've heard you talk and mentioned a number of times, the CIO role in, in healthcare has been one of, if not the hardest. And I'm just curious from your perspective, why that is, what's, what do you see as the challenge in that seat? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I've had some really hard jobs. I've been, I've been over a, a service organization for a fortune 500 company had 2000 engineers reporting it to me in 42 States, I believe, um, managing $200 million in consulting revenue and that kind of stuff. And somebody would say, oh, that's hard. Oh, and then we took that company through chapter 11. Oh, that's hard. And I'm here to tell you, they pale in comparison to being a CIO at a health system. And I, I think the best way to think about it is the CIO role in healthcare 
is really the CEO of applying technology to that healthcare system. Yep. Okay. And and what I mean by that is you play every role. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you set the table and you bring the technology in. Sometimes you implement. Sometimes you have to rally a group of people around a concept or an idea or or around a problem set that needs to be solved. Yep. Uh, sometimes you're an advisor and counselor. Uh, you have to have vision, ask the right amount of uh, questions of people. Uh, you have to get the right amount of money to make sure you're managing your IT organization well. Uh, and then, of course, then you have all the people challenges, managing people and the various things that that go on. And then I think the other thing that adds to the complexity, because people might say, oh, that's that's not that hard. And it is hard. But the complexity is healthcare. And when people say the word healthcare to me, I hear a lot of different things. And when a lot of people say the word healthcare, they're like, healthcare provider. Well, to me, a healthcare provider is six types of, of different organizations. You know, it can be a, a private equity or venture capital backed organization, it can be an academic medical center and everything <laughs> in between. And each one of those is made up of like 40 businesses that sometimes are tied together really well and sometimes are not tied together that well. And um, in some cases have competing priorities. And so I, I, I set that up and then I say, when I first went into healthcare as a CIO, it wasn't uncommon for me to, um, you know, to, to have a meeting at 10 a.m. to talk about surgery. At noon, I'm talking about oncology. At one o'clock, I'm talking about supply chain. Uh, two o'clock, I'm meeting with the vendor and talking uh, enterprise architecture. Three o'clock, I'm talking food services because we have food services in every one of our hospitals. And at 4 p.m., I'm sitting down with a CFO for a multi-billion dollar organization, and we're talking budget and finance. So hopefully I painted the picture for why I believe it's one of the hardest roles, uh, period, out there. Yeah, and needing to have some level of mastery and operational understanding of what, go, what goes into each of those, right? Because you're you're looking to support them and understand the the issues and, and challenges faced by each one of those segments. Yeah, I, I joke around that when I first went into healthcare, I came from a technology background. I didn't come from a healthcare background because that's what our health system wanted. They wanted some new thinking. Uh, but I had to get uh, my admin put together a list of all the different practices because I was sitting across from, you know, from a doctor of some kind, you know, and and they would say, well, I practice this medicine and I would have no idea what what that was. And so for the first uh, couple of weeks, I had I had cards and I memorized all the different practices within uh, within the health system just to know who I was talking to and what they did. <laughs> so good lead in to one of the questions I have here and we, we have a number, um, but. I'm I'm just curious, you know, our audience and who who's listening to this podcast are uh, marketing leaders of health tech organizations. So if you just heard what Bill said, and you're and the CIO is a target, somebody you're trying to get the attention of, that that puts forward a pretty sub significant mandate because you know, first of all, you are working as a CIO to balance an incredible, incredibly context incredibly complex budget with lots of competing demands and needing to make decisions based on, you know, on clear value. And, and so if you were to coach a marketing leader of a technology solution selling in the health system, how would you help them 
get their message across? What would you say is the thing that they need to make sure they're doing a great job of if they're going to get the attention of this of a CIO and and help them understand what it is they're bringing? It, it, it's it's so important to know each health system and what their priorities are. It's it's interesting when I started the podcast, we would interview CIOs. And there was a few sales managers that told me, uh, your show is required listening for our sales organization. And I, I was like, really, tell me about that. They're like, look, you're having the conversations that many of us can't have, right? And you're asking the questions that many of us can't ask of the CIOs. And so, uh, and by the way, I'm not the only one doing it now. You can go to Becker's, you can go to uh, health system CIO, a bunch of us interview the CIOs and you can get the priorities from them. So the first thing is understand their priorities. Um, the second is you have to have a story and your story has to have uh, a, uh, what's the best way to say it? A, a, a demonstrable return on not only finance, we all we all know that, we all, it all needs a financial ROI, but it needs a, a demonstrable return on the resource investment of moving something forward. Because by the way, finance and resources aren't the only two things I'm gonna invest in your project. The other is I'm going to invest my relational capital, my political capital that I've built up. If I'm getting behind a project, I'm essentially investing uh, whatever relational and political capital, because I'm gonna have to pull in some doctors and get them excited about it, or pull in some administrators and get them excited about it. So I've built up some capital. I'm spending that capital when I bring you in. You have to have a story that helps me to make that case internally, uh, no matter what it is. It has to be, and it has to be clear. It's, it's amazing to me the number of times where uh, the I'm sitting across from somebody and they're telling me, oh, you, you have to implement our system. It's the blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, tell me what the return is from a financial standpoint. And it's murky at best. Yep. And I'm like, all right, that should be, you should have that down. In fact, in today's economy uh, and financial <laughs> situations for health systems today, that has to be rock solid. You have to be able to say, we can save you. And it can be in uh, actual dollars, can be in uh, reimbursements, could be in uh, revenue capture. It, um, it can be in hours. A yep. lot of times now we're talking in efficiency. You're saving us hours. It can be in any of those things, but that story has to be very solid. Uh, you're going to invest this um, and you're going to get this return. But the other thing is really understanding the problems, right? So uh, nurse staffing shortages and nurse staffing, uh, just clinical burnout in general. These are real problems. What is your story to go against that? And, and how is that delivering? Um, the financial burden that I mentioned earlier, what, you know, what is your story and how are you participating in that? Um, security, PHI, uh, PII vulnerabilities, how are you participating in that? That's just to name a few. Yeah. Um, and just understand, there's an awful lot of things going on in the health system. And I, cause I've had salespeople look at me and go, Hey, you know what, Bill, I don't understand why this health system's not doing this. And I'm like, <laughs> let me tell you what some of their priorities are. And I'll rattle them off and I'll say, you know, they, they, they have to address sepsis and they'll go, what is sepsis? I'm like, well, <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, it's the leading cause of death in a hospital. So they have to address that. They have to, they have to improve quality. They have a staffing issue that's going on. They have unrest amongst their clinicians. 
Uh, they have burnout issues and those kind of things. Uh, they just had to do a reduction in their IT staff. Uh, every one of their vendors is coming to them with a 10 to 15% increase in their uh, in their price for ongoing software contracts. And you're, you're asking me the question, are you really asking me the question, why aren't they prioritizing the stuff that you're talking about? And, and the answer is, um, you know, you might be number 10 on their list and they're not going to get to number 10 this year. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, that that clarity to value has to be there. It is so frequent that we see organizations wanting to talk all about their technology in some way. Here's here's how here's our really cool shiny object that does XYZ, which is great. And if you don't have a really clear line to value, it means virtually nothing. And that's a that's a such an important element. And, and by the way, help me sell it internally. Like if yeah, I have to build me. out all this stuff myself, uh, I, that's going to be, that's, I don't have the time and it's going to be really hard. I want you to hand me this stuff and say, Hey, if you're talking to a clinician, here's, here's the story. Take this story to them. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Have the internal campaign framework set out so that you can, you can help your advocate bring it forward. That's a, uh, that's really good. So what are, um, you know, you, you outlined several of the, the problems or you, you listed several of them, but what are some of the few top problems you're seeing come across CIO's desks right now that they're, they're willing to or feeling urgent about dedicating some resources to solving? Uh, the, the number one problem, and you may not hear this from CIOs because none of them want to really talk about this overtly because it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. But the number one problem is the financial hole that healthcare is currently trying to climb out of. And we're seeing some of the leaders climb out of it. You're seeing Intermountain and, and Mayo and, and some of the others climb out of it. But uh, some of the others are really struggling to get out of that. That's the number one thing that's happening. We're, we come through the pandemic, uh, which was a jolt to the system for sure. Uh, now we have inflation, we have a sluggish economy. Uh, which is never good for healthcare. And uh, oh, by the way, while that's all happening, the competition has gr only grown for um, you know imaging for a lot a lot of things where we used to make money yeah, for primary that care. Revenue for that. So oh, that that's the environment. So that's number one. So they're looking for efficiency and mm -hmm. uh, potentially revenue generation. So it, it, technology that helps in generating revenue. Uh, any kind of tech. This is why we're talking so much about AI right now, because there's the belief that AI can start to step in and take some of these mundane, uh, some of the mundane work that we all do, including in IT and in the clinical side, and start to automate some of that. Um, I would say it goes beyond that too, though. I mean, once you get past the financial, uh, access is always something that people are looking for. How do we uh, give people act, more access to healthcare, remote patient monitoring, uh, patient flow. I'm hearing a lot of command centers be stood up because we would have people get stuck in the system. And instead of moving efficiently through, uh, they would get stuck. And even to the point of discharge, we have some patients who are sitting maybe four or five hours taking up a room in a, a hospital where they could have been discharged five hours ago. And that, I mean, all those things represent assets. Um, and I, I think that the last one I would mention is digital expectations have changed. And it's it's due to all the things that people talk about. It's due to the Amazon effect or 
And so uh, when you say digital expectations, you're saying, you know, how can people engage digitally in whatever framework? Right. You know, you'll, you'll hear this all the time and maybe you've experienced it yourself, which is, you know, hey, why can't I get an appointment through this through my phone? Why can't I cancel it? Why can't I reschedule it? Why can't I, um, you know, why can't I get my discharge instructions uh, via, you know, some digital tool that I can then show to people on my TV at home. You know, it's just, it's, it's the, our, our expectations have changed because every other industry has changed them because we're already in retail. Yep. We're there everywhere else. We're there. And it's almost cliche to talk about now. Um, what, what, I, what we're pushing the CIOs in terms of the conversation is if the, those are their expectations, what are the projects we're putting in place to, uh, to, to, fulfill the expectations that they do have in terms of how healthcare will operate over the next five years. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. If you were to, so thinking back at your days at St. Joseph, um, if if you were looking to, or how, was, how were different vendors, different uh, technology organizations, how are they coming across your desk? How are you becoming aware of them? What were some of the the channels and and methods that you were hearing of new opportunities? The you know I I ended up writing an article about this. Uh, the number one way that people hear about solutions is from other health systems. Yep. Period. So that's and, and it's like a three to one, four to one, five to one margin over whatever number two is. It's uh, because you know we just had one of these events and the CIOs were sitting around and somebody said, hey. We were able to get more efficiency out of our MRI machines by utilizing this thing. And three people swarmed that person after that presentation to say, hey, I needed more information on that. That's that's a very common approach. You'll see that happen at conferences. You'll see people say, hey, we're kicking off a project here. And the, we think they're going to start at Gartner or we think they're going to start at Class or one of those other age, uh, services. Um, but a lot of times what they do is they will they'll essentially go out into the field. There are groups of people where they can send an email to and say, hey, is anyone, who's doing this specific thing for a hospital at home with remote patient monitoring? And they'll get two or three responses. They'll get their teams on the phone with them and that's how they'll learn. That's number one. You know, every now and then, I, I, would, I would do the, uh, the booth crawl at various conferences but most of the time when I go to do the booth crawl, I'm looking for my existing partners so that I can have conversations with them and whatnot. Rarely was I doing the booth crawl to find a new solution. Every now and then I'd have a doctor with me and the doctor would say, hey, I want you to see this thing or I want you to take a look at this thing. Um, that would happen. The uh, And then there's, there's a story now that has sort of grown legend in that. <laughs> One of the one of the people who called on me used to be with Salesforce, and he now does sales coaching. And he has this whole section where he talks about effectively marketing to a health system. And I, I'm the I, I'm I'm the uh, muse in this whole thing. He sent me emails day in day out. Um, it felt like that. He said he sent me seven <laughs> emails before he got a response, and uh, it led to a seven figure deal for him and for Salesforce when he finally got through to me. But again, that requires such persistence. And he was really good at identifying the things that I was thinking about and just saying, hey, you know, I heard this. I heard you do an interview. I heard you speak. 
And he would drop these things. And eventually he got in touch with me. We got into a room and uh, he listened and found, uh, found, found a way to help us. Yeah. So some of what I'm hearing there that I think is really important is, first of all, you have to know what's going on in the, in, in the organization. You have to know what's on the, what's top of mind. You have to understand what are the core f- problems that they're facing in trying to solve and tailor whatever approach you might be taking with some very clear understanding of the context. Because if you come at in blind and you're just throwing a blanket solution or a blanket uh, approach, it's, it's likely not going to get the attention. The other thing is making, <laughs> recognizing that peer-to-peer is going to be some of the most effective channels. Like, so figuring out how to uh, get, how to use existing deployments, existing successful deployments and amplify those out so people can see that and understand what in fact is going on, what in fact is being realized as far as value goes in in a real respectable uh, system that, that people have connection to. Um, that seems like those are some important, uh, yeah. important and you takeaways. Can, you cannot afford to have a failed implementation. It's, it's, too, small, it's too small of a community to have failed implementations. Uh, if you do, I would go back and remedy those as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah, talk about what you've experienced in that regard, because I've definitely heard, especially recently, and especially around the AI universe, um, of some some things not going well and that spreading like uh, uh, that spreading pretty rampantly through the rumor mill. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll speak to the rumor mill. The rumor mill is is pretty obvious. It's it's one of those where you're sitting with a group of CIOs and we get into that you know old curmudgeonly kind of thing. You think your <laughs> life's bad. Let me tell you how bad mine is. I went to implement XYZ technology. Oh my gosh, these people were idiots. They absolutely didn't know what they were doing. And even if that company did know what they were doing or whatever, that person who's relaying that story isn't going to say it that way. They're going to tell you all the things that went wrong. They're going to embellish in some cases. I mean, you just, you cannot afford, it just happens I mean, I've just seen it. I've seen it. I've heard it uh, over and over again. So you just you have to make sure you uh, you remedy those as quickly as you can. Um, at, at a minimum, you want to get people to be neutral on you uh, if you have a failed implementation, because we know in healthcare we know that a lot of times we're the problem. It took us six months to get the contract together. We didn't get you the data correctly. We didn't get you the integrations correctly. Um, you know, our doctors didn't engage. There's any number of reasons the project didn't go well that are literally our fault. But if it's going to fail, at least get that neutral feeling of, hey, let's pull the plug on this. Doesn't seem like this is a priority for you right now. Let's, you know, let's let's get to uh, to to a point where, you know, it's stable and you can uh, we can cut our losses or whatever. That's that's the minimum. At most, I would tell organizations man, you have to be really good at managing your clients through a project. You should know what it takes, who needs to be involved. Uh, In fact, I was so impressed when I had a solution and they came in and said, these are the people that we're going to need to engage with. Uh, This is the amount of time we're going to need from those people. 
This is the connections we're going to need. Here's the security uh, framework that we're going to utilize. They knew the questions we were going to ask before we asked them, and they provided them completely complete with, you know, here's a template for the project, project management. Uh, a lot of them will provide former healthcare staff that have been through it before that can help us to <laughs> like walk, walk alongside. It. Yeah. Um, all that stuff is really important. And by the way, uh, I mean, Epic has been successful really for a lot of reasons, but the, the two early on, I would say is one is they were the only system with a, an acute and ambulatory integrated system when meaningful use came out. So that's the number one reason they won is, is that, yep. but the number two reason they won is when Epic comes into your healthcare system, they say, you're going to get this many doctors trained. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. Here are the recipes for success. And we're going to be with you and walk you through it every step of the way. And healthcare, you know, they like that. They've grown used to it. They've grown used to it with Epic. And they would like to see it from more players who come in there and really know how to get stuff done in healthcare. Which is really the challenge for a lot of early stage health tech companies, right? Because they have a they have a relatively thin team. Sometimes they don't have that that savvy expertise. And so spending the time on the front end to get that because you <laughs> you can't afford a failed implementation, especially early on. You have to come and so spending the calories that you need to go to school and understand what it's going to take to be successful and being successful at almost any expense, especially in the early days, is a really critical step because, first of all, you need the experience and you're going to continue to need the experience because technology isn't enough. If, if you're a CIO and you're implementing a, a six-figure, a, a seven-figure, an eight-figure system and you can't afford you can't afford for it to fail. You can't your reputation can't sustain it, and your budget can't sustain it, and and uh, and the system can't sustain it right yep. now. Really early on, I will say it's so important to get a partner. And I tell really early stage startups set aside some ownership for a partner. Right, so I they're going to partner with me at St. Joe's. They want to, what they should do is offer me warrants. They should offer me some ownership. And the reason they should do that is because I'm taking a flyer on them. Yep. They're so early on. Uh, and what they need from me is they need some of my doctor's time to say, man, I see what you're doing here. You shouldn't do it this way. You should consider doing it this and this because you don't really understand how this how this works in healthcare. And they, they might need some help from my security team to, to shore up their security framework or my integration team to do some things. They want me to feel like I'm an owner so that I'm going to give them as many resources as possible. I'm also going to be incented to give them a positive uh, review out into the world. So I would say set aside some ownership early on for one or two players. And then I would say stop giving away ownership once you have three or four cl clients. I mean, I see people who are like, oh yeah, we, we gave them a piece of ownership and they're on like client number 10. I'm like, what are you doing? Like yeah. your product should be baked by now. Stop. Well, the the having a very clear principle approach to that onboarding in those first, you know, you need to go into those first deployments understanding that we've got to we've got to get the system together. That's our purpose right now is to get our our, our right. system together. Yep. So Absolutely. that by the time you get to number four, you've got it down, and you and you have. Uh, and you have the opportunity to to push it and, forward. And hopefully in working with me, I'm going to give you the project plan that we used, and then you could use that with other clients. Yep, yep, 
Good. That's a great, great word. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. I know you are um, you're the host of This Week Health. We hear you talking a lot with CIOs and in that community. Um, we know that AI is a strong emerging force on a number of fronts. Um, what are you seeing some of the opportunities? Like how, if you look at the opportunities that AI is going to open up for healthcare and how it intersects with the CIO uh, universe, what are you seeing as some of the big, uh, the big beachheads there that, um, that are going to be transformative in the next few years? AI is going to change everything. And it's going to do so very rapidly. And what I'm telling CIOs right now is, you know, stop putting up roadblocks, stop um, moving so slowly, because this is going to change everything. And your competitors are trying to figure out how to use it. One of the CIOs I respect greatly is Mike Pfeffer uh, from Stanford. Um, and they're already using AI to draft notes for doctors' responses. And then the once it's drafted, the doctor can look at it and say, go ahead and send it. And they're, they're saving a certain amount of, uh, of time and the studies will continue to be done. But those doctors used to have to write those notes. And they actually did a study on the notes for empathy and for uh, uh, completeness, right? And the AI-generated notes were, have, were more <laughs> empathetic and more complete than the ones the doctors were doing. Why is that? Well, the doctor just worked an eight to they 10 hour yeah, day. They don't have time. They don't have, right. Yeah. They're, they're at the end of their day. They're just like, yeah, go ahead and take the medication or let me do it. You know, it's just like, whereas AI is sitting there going, hey, thank you for your question. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I've been looking through your record, you know, all the stuff that the, the doctor wouldn't type. Anyway, uh, I, I, I start with saying it's going to change everything. Uh, AI is going to be an information assistant. It's going to follow me all day. It's going to document what needs to be documented in my day. It's going to send emails or at least draft emails for me that need to be sent. It's going to assist me with tasks that uh, can be done digitally, like ordering something or those kind of things. Uh, it's going to do research on my behalf, uh, and it's going to provide me all sorts of support in my work. This is what AI has the potential to do. Um, clinically, this means that every physician will have an AI assistant that can gather the information for their patients that they're gonna see that day, all right? And it's gonna get the latest research from the journals on those patients that they're gonna see. Um, it's gonna you know, score those for relevance for them. It's gonna provide them a summary on some of the bullet points for the patients that they're going to see. Um, it's going to listen in on the patient visit and it's gonna document that uh, patient visit. It may even pull up some relevant information from the EHR while they're having that visit. Um, it, you, you get the picture from a clinician standpoint. The anticipation is this is going to be used everywhere to do things that we used to have to go to our mouse, go to our keyboard and go, oh, I wonder what the last 10 readings were on you know, blood glu yep. glucose for this patient. Um, and by the way, I'm just talking about clinicians now. Nurses, nurses have a lot of, of again, tasks that are you know, depending on their, uh, you know, their their level of certification, uh, some of those some of the tasks that nurses are asked to do are quite frankly beneath their level of uh, certification. And those tasks we have proven now can be done with uh, cameras and computer vision, utilizing AI, and that kind of th those kind of things. 
What we are really cognizant of right now, though, is AI washing. It's, look, we've been doing predictive models for years with algorithms. That is not AI. AI is with every piece of information that washes over the AI algorithms that are there, it actually gets more intuitive. It gets smarter. It knows where to find information better. It knows how I function better. It gets smarter as we go along. That's what we're looking for is algorithms that get better with use. Yeah. And clearly one of the things that it, you know, what we know right now is the one of the biggest needs is, that is facing healthcare has to do with the clinician shortage and what is going on. Really critical that whatever, that whatever solution you're bringing forward has a very clear line to actually helping and lifting the burdens off of clinicians. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to throw another technology layer over something, and it's another thing to have a, a solution that is from its core, from its foundation, built to save cycles <laughs> um, and to improve care quality. And, uh, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's a real critical element as they can, as you consider how you are messaging, how you are bringing these ideas forward. How is that, how is that going to be clearly related? Yeah. It goes back to what we talked about earlier. You have to have that just demonstrable. I, I mean, this is why you need that early client as well so that you can write that, that paper that says, Hey, we, we reduced their clinician time in uh, notes or follow-up or in documentation by 25%, which allowed them to do whatever they want with that time. But in a lot of cases, you know, the clinicians that they're, they say they're suffering from burnout, but when we give them more time, you know what they do? They see two more patients a day. Go figure. Bill, as you're, um, as you're interacting with CIOs and in the context of AI, where is the biggest knowledge gap right now? What, what is the, what's the gap that needs to be closed between the, the, Average. I know there's a huge spectrum of embrace right now around AI ideas, and there's been a whole lot that's just come out in the last eight months around what is now possible as the large language models have uh, have come to roost. What are you seeing as the gap that exists in under fundamental understanding right now that needs to get closed? That organizations who are bringing AI solutions forward would do well to invest in helping people understand? This, this, is, this is an interesting question and part of the discussion we had this past weekend. Um, as I, I hope people understand you just can't pop technology in a place like healthcare. You can do it in some industries, you just can't do it in healthcare. It's highly yeah, too regulated. Too much context. Right. It's highly regulated and the mistake could cost someone their life and, or the life of a loved one. So e either way, you just you, you can't just pop it in there. There's foundational work that needs to be done uh, before AI can be widely adopted and used. Um, I, I would start with, we have to create policies. And I asked this group of CIOs, how many of you have an AI usage policy in place? And of the uh, 13 that were in the room, uh, two thirds were working on it, but no one had one done. Wow, yeah. So it, it's, it, it's like it's sort of, I, I know it didn't, but it's like it, it all of a sudden with ChatGPT all of a sudden became, oh my gosh, we, we need an AI policy. Now we were using AI prior to that, 
but it wasn't as pervasive and at, there wasn't as much demand to use it. And so we didn't put the policies around it and we have to put those policies around it. And the, the policies have to protect people. Uh, data has to be protected. Um, you know, obviously we're doing AI in uh, supply chain. We're doing it in IT areas where there's no lives at risk, but, um, but we have to do that. And, you know, while we're talking about policy, the, this week's poll I asked, um, so I do polls every Monday on yep. LinkedIn just to get the, the voice of the, of the industry. And my question this week was around policy. If, you know, if, if you went to a healthcare system and you read their AI policy, what would you be really concerned if you didn't see on there? And, I, and with LinkedIn, you can only give four options. I would have given like eight if I could. But the four options I gave were data privacy and security, transparency and explainability, fairness and bias um, mitigation, and human oversight and accountability. Okay, I, I'm saying these are just four of the headings I think that should be in every AI policy, right? Data privacy and security, transparency, explainability. We can explain why the AI algorithm is is telling us what it's telling us. Uh, fairness and bias uh, mitigation, because we know that uh, these algorithms were trained and they're trained on data from the internet, and that isn't necessarily bias-free information. Um, and the example I give people is we don't know if ChatGPT has been trained on CNN or Fox News. And if it was trained on one or the other, it's going to answer the question different, right? And so, you know, fairness and, and bias mitigation or uh, human oversight and accountability. And right now with, with, uh, within healthcare, what, what I, I see and what I'm recommending for people is uh, the human needs to be still the connection to the patient. Like AI can't automatically do anything yet. Like it can reveal information, it can bring it up to the forefront, it can draft things, but the person who hits send, who actually read it, is a human. It's a it's a physician. It's a nurse. It's somebody who can who can say, "I because I'm pressing this button, I I'm, approve, I'm responsible. <laughs> I'm responsible for this." Yeah. Let me give you the, the the results so far. Data privacy and security. Forty four percent people said, "Hey, if I don't see that in the policy, I'm going to be concerned." And forty percent said human oversight and accountability. So there's eighty four percent right there think that those are probably the top two topics that need to be uh, addressed in any AI policy right now. Very, uh, very insightful. I know we're working with a group right now that is uh, very actively working to promote the importance and, and the methodology for doing an audit of large language models um, to help ensure <laughs> You know, if you're deploying any form of large language model, you better know what's in there and you better know where it's coming from and be able to to look at what's going on. And that's uh, that's going to be an increasingly important element as uh, as this stuff comes forward. And uh, and the whole privacy framework around it obviously is is essential. That's um, what do you see anybody currently doing work on on helping promote guidance for uh for those policies, <laughs> other you, than yourself, <laughs> I, I, and actually, it, it, and I'm not. I, I've I've uh, I haven't had a a consulting client in six months. I'm so busy with the stuff that I am doing, building the community and stuff over here. I will give you one funny answer. I said, you know, how many of you written a policy? And one of the CIOs said, you know, oddly enough, we had we asked ChatGPT to write a AI governance policy for healthcare, and 
it wasn't half bad. I mean, it was pretty good, actually, is what the person said. And I'm like, that's interesting. AI writing a policy, or a large language model writing a policy to oversee uh, AI and implementations. But, you know, quite frankly, uh, based on my usage of ChatGPT and GPT-4, it probably would write a fairly good uh, policy statement. Who's advising on this? Uh, I. It, at my health system, it would have been uh, compliance. It would have been, uh, we would have had physicians. Um, we would have had our legal team. Uh, quite frankly, I'm recommending that everybody set up an AI governance board. It's going to be pervasive in healthcare over the next five years. It'll be slow to get going, yeah, and, but, it's... but it will pick up steam very rapidly. And you're, you, the same way you have governance around data and governance around applications, you're going to need AI governance because, you know, you said, um, uh, you know, transparency in the model. There's no transparency in the chat GPT model. Nobody can tell you what it's been trained on. I mean, they can generally tell you what it's been trained on, but outside of that, we don't really know what it's been trained on. And so, you know, if it doesn't have that level of transparency, should it be used in healthcare? Um, some people are saying yes, as long as it has human oversight, but my my encouragement to any healthcare system listening to this is um, the same way you have an ethics board and those kind of things, you have to determine how this is going to be used in your system and what's appropriate. Keep in mind, if you block it and slow it down, you 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 might be signing your own um, your foreclosure notice. I mean, because it's. Uh, because it, it can fundamentally change the economics of healthcare. And if it does that and you decide to step back, yeah. um, don't be surprised if don't the be surprised financial- it bites you. <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, that's, uh, that's definitely good, good input. I know that you uh, recently shared an article on LinkedIn where Scott Galloway shares his, uh, his economic, how the economic impact of AI won't be the catastrophe that many predict. Where do you see that? Where, where do you see the biggest improvement? Where do you see the biggest impact on AI? Uh, you know, we've, we've already talked about, talked about somewhat in, in healthcare yeah. where, where I see it. If, if I were to say where we're going to see the biggest impact um, up front, the next two years, we're going to see it in, in finance. Imagine AI models essentially managing your portfolio. Um, now, instead of trusting that financial planner and whatnot, you, you're really trusting an algorithm that is looking at way more data points than that flashy person who sold you on, you know, trust me with your money, I'll take care of you. Uh, I think we're going to see, we're already seeing a lot of AI models in finance. Finance will probably lead the way in this. Retail will, will be a close second. Um, if not, like when I say close second, I mean like hours behind um, finance in terms of the implementation of AI. We're going to see AI really hyper-personalizing our experience in retail in a way that that is almost unimaginable right now. And then what will happen, uh, and I had this conversation with Taylor Davis, who, who originally put me onto this concept. Taylor Davis is, uh, with, was with Class, and he led the um, he led the Arch Collaborative for, for many years for class. He was an, a, a VP over there and he just started his own deal. And, and when we were talking about this, he said, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see industries literally change in what will feel like overnight over the next couple of years. 
And then healthcare will look at it and go, oh my gosh, this really is fundamentally going to change things. And then we will start adopting it. So it still might be, you know, it still might feel really slow. This thing started, I'm saying the start date was uh, GPT-3 3 and 3.5 just before Christmas of last year, uh, just before Christmas of um, 2022 is around the time frame that this started. I will say that's when the clock started. Um, within three years, it'll be, uh, we were, we'll be looking at this across the board in healthcare. It'll be in uh, supply chain. It'll be in revenue cycle. It'll be in IT. It'll be pervasive in those areas. Administration will be pervasive in that area. Um, and then you'll start to really see it take off in the clinical side by then. And it'll be pretty well expected. A doctor coming out of med school will be like, you don't have any AI tools that are going to help me be a better physician. Um, I'm going to go to a different health system. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes total sense. It is going to be a day in this next little bit, and uh, and how we embrace the the waves that are coming is going to make make or break a lot of these uh, a lot of these organizations for sure. John, can I can I give you my disclaimer? My disclaimer is, <laughs> in all the years I've been in healthcare, which is now a little over a decade, all the changes that I thought would be uh, two years away have been four, and the ones I thought would be three years away have been six. Like we moved to the cloud in, in 2012 at St. Joe's, 2012, 2013. And I'm like, everybody's going to move to the cloud. You know, when they're moving to the cloud, they, they, they just are now moving to the cloud. It's a decade later from when I thought, like, I can't believe, you know, this is going to be widespread adoption. It took almost a decade. Oh, only a decade. You yeah. know. Just moves a little slower. It's you know, little... what I'd like to hope is that the economic incentives right now are so undeniable that it, the the innovation may come quicker. I hope it. I hope I, they can that, see their that, way. That's that's why I'm saying that. I do believe that the economics of healthcare are creating a sense of urgency. I believe that the uh, the uh, labor situation in healthcare is creating a sense of urgency. I've heard uh, people say we will never have enough doctors or nurses again in our lifetime. And so if that's going to be the case, and that is, you know, we're not trying to put doctors or nurses out of out of work. We're trying to make sure we have enough uh, care knowledge and caregiving being done. And that can be done through a really smart chatbot that's been trained on the right information and with the right oversight and the right transparency around that model. Uh, there's a belief that 50% of all primary care could potentially be uh, at least triaged, if not provided, outright provided by uh, AI within the next five years. Yeah. And that's that <laughs> that scares a lot of people. And if you look at the numbers, it's almost necessitated, right? I mean, there's going to it's got to change and we've got to be open to new ways of addressing some of these things. And it's a big, wide open door for really smart technology uh, but boy, John, it has to be well found. I wasn't going to say anything provocative. <laughs> there you go. I uh, I think that that you jumped right out there, right in it. But but you know anybody who's looked at the numbers, I mean, the, clinicians aren't just going to materialize out of nowhere. I mean, the you know the projections compared to the population needs are very very direct, and we've got to. We've got to look at some of these changes. So I know that, you know, as a part of This Week Health, 
in that community, you work with innovators in this space who are doing great things for transformation. And a few of those that you've partnered with happen to be our clients, which is some of why we're here connected today, because they're big fans. And uh, I'm just curious, as you look at what's coming out right now, what are you most excited about? What are some of the, the transformative companies, the transformative ideas that are starting to take hold, they're starting to, starting to come forward that are really going to move the needle? Uh, I love the work that Artisite's doing around artificial uh, artificial sight. I mean, it's in the it's in the title, so it's it's cameras located throughout the health system that are trained on algorithm are trained on the uh, on the images that it's seeing, and it can t- detect falls. It can detect a lot of things. It can detect that you know this room is empty and the bed needs to be made simple. Kind of stuff. It can detect falls. Can detect um, the need for turns, bed turns, and those kind of things. Um, it can do a lot of things. Anything that you would normally have a person in there, and they'd see something, and that would trigger an action. It can be automated through Artisite. I think that's, to me, that's fascinating. You're going to see the, the, the really the the health system, the hospital, become a working computer, if you will that there's going to be inputs that aren't all just keyboard and mouse. It's going to be uh, cameras. It's going to be ambient listening. It's going to be all that stuff feeding into uh, a living organism, which is going to be that health system. And it's not only going to be that one building, it's going to be across the entire system. I'm hearing more and more health systems step back and look at system-wide initiatives instead of hospital-specific. You know, one of the companies that brought us together is SureTest. I'm I'm bullish on uh, SureTest. They you know, really reduce the financial burden of testing with every piece of software you bring into a new health system, you have to do testing and, or should, uh, or should do testing or should do <laughs> testing. And, um, you know, it's, I, the thing I like about that solution and the reason I showcase it is they talk about hours. You have these people that are doing this type of work that could be doing something else yep. and they're going to save you know, umpteen number of hours a, a for every release. Well, for a lot of these EHRs, we have to take at least two releases a year, if not more. And every time you take a release, you have to test that against your workflows. You have to test that to make sure you're not going to do any harm, essentially. And so, um, you know, I, I think those kinds of automation tools that are built to be platforms, because it's not only the EHR they're testing, they can also do stuff like Workday and, and some other tools that are some other platforms that are coming down the pike. So um, it's it's having the ability to implement automation yep. and testing around that is is important. You know, the, the other one I will I will mention only because of how innovative it is, and I think there's there we we need more and more innovation in this area of security. And the company is TauSite, and TauSite has a unique way of identifying PHI, personal health information, and personally identified, uh, identifiable information, PII and PHI, uh, across the entire health system. Identify that where, where it lives and resides. Ident- identify when it's moving, when it shouldn't be moving, and that kind of stuff. The reality is we don't have enough people to monitor this stuff, find this stuff, mitigate this stuff. We're going to need tools that can actually do that for us and then quarantine that information and then give us the ability to get in front of these breaches and whatnot. And by the way, I could go on and on. There's a lot of great uh, companies in healthcare right now doing 
uh, trying to solve those those uh, problems that have been persistent. Yeah. So if you were to look at um, just kind of a summary of a, a company coming to market, trying to bring a solution forward, uh, you, you've mentioned several things here that are important, but if you were to if you were to load their cannon with the the most important elements that they need to understand coming to, coming into this market, uh, engaging with this market, if you were to give the broad overview, what are the must-haves? What are the things that they need need to make sure they're doing? Just kind of kind of overview summary of some of what we talked about here, and and anything else you'd want to add? Yeah, I, the. When I think about a startup, the most important thing is their leadership. So when I'm evaluating, I want to see a leadership team. I want to see a cohesive leadership team that understands what it takes to be successful in healthcare. And so if you don't have somebody on your team that understands uh, healthcare and the unique environment that healthcare is, uh, even organizations that are really large that are coming into healthcare, one of the first things I say to them is, you need to hire healthcare people. It's just a distinct animal. And look, I did consulting in every industry out there. And I'm telling you, when healthcare says we're different, they're different. And so you need to have those people on staff that can sit across from them. And one of the best examples of that is CrowdStrike hires uh, Drex DeFord, former CIO for Scripps, former CIO for uh, Seattle Children's. And when Drex walks into a room, Somebody the, knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah, somebody who knows what's going on, somebody who can empathize with where they're at. And when he walks into the room, they see a friend like, oh, there's Drex. I want to talk to Drex. How's Drex doing? They don't see vendor. They see, you know, they see ally. They see an ally. They also see somebody who understands who's been in the chair, understands. And I don't know if everybody's budget really has that kind of room for it, but if your budget has that kind of room, find somebody that doesn't just talk the talk, somebody who's been in an implementation. If you're in the EHR world, somebody who, who's been in the muck of an EHR implementation and really understands it. You know, if you're implementing AI in oncology, maybe an oncologist might make sense, uh, a forward-leaning oncologist, I don't know. But um, I would say the, so understand healthcare. Uh, I think one of the biggest things for me is understanding the distinction between marketing and sales. People uh, will either come with one bent or the other, and both are incredibly important. And they're distinct. Marketing is about putting your message together, getting your story together, uh, making sure that that story resonates, making sure that it addresses the pain points of the organizations that you're trying to tell that story to. Uh, it's about getting that story to be heard getting as much you know, amplification of that message as possible. You, you know marketing better than I do, but that's essentially what I would say marketing is. Sales is relationships. Sales is someone talking to someone saying, uh, you know, hey, I heard you on this podcast and it sounds like you have a problem that we might be able to help you out with or whatever the approach is, but sales is relationships. Sales yeah, is a numbers it's knowing. game. It's, yeah. it's a numbers game. It's people talking to people. And if you're going to hire, if, if you're not going to hire a salesperson, somebody in your leadership team needs to do sales, which means needs to have relationships, make phone calls, talk to people. And, and gain that knowledge that you talked about of you know, the situational awareness for that entity so that you can know how to tailor the message that you're bringing 
in a way that is going to catch traction because otherwise you're in, in or, some trouble. Or, or even get feedback to the message. Sometimes when we take the message out, they say, uh, that's, the, you know, they'll, they'll give us a little piece of, a little nugget of gold and we take it back to the product team and say, hey, they just said this. And there's like an aha moment of, oh yeah, that would be so much better if we had that or did that. You gotta be careful because every client wants to tell you how to redo your product completely. You don't have enough time, runway, or or money to do that. <laughs> but um, sometimes the, that those nuggets really help you to to increase your run, runway and uh, in your longevity. Um, and then all the things we talked about before, right? So having the uh, you know having a playbook for somebody implementing, really understanding the people you're going to need uh, the the people you're going to need access to within their health system, the resources you're going to need access to, um, the amount of time you're actually asking for. Sometimes, you know, these startups will come in and say, yeah, just connect us to this. And I'll look at them like, you, you just asked me to bypass like 10 levels of security and go straight into this thing. Uh, my gosh, that's like two weeks of you sitting down with these people to determine how you're going to do that, how you're going to get that data, is that data anonymized? Is it not anonymized? You should know all those things before you make a request That's that somebody just looks at you and goes, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? Yeah. Yep. Great input. Hey, uh, as we as we conclude here, Bill, what, uh, what would you want our listeners, you know, knowing that th- these are early health tech companies, what would you want them to know about you and what you're doing with this week health and what you're doing with the events that you're putting on? Uh, what would be good for, for them to know and what, and how might they reach out and get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody can reach me at bill at thisweekhealth.com and I, I give it out on my podcast. So it's, it's the way people get a hold of me. The, um, by the way, if you send an email to me and you're not in my, uh, contacts, you'll be asked to give a donation to Alex's lemonade stand for cures for childhood cancer. If you're not going to give at least a dollar to that, don't send me an email because I, I, you know, it's the it's the charity that I want to support and those kind of things. And I figure it has to be worth at least a dollar to you to uh, there to, you go to, to talk awesome. to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, hey, we we started these. We started as a podcast that was five years ago. We've done 1,500 interviews. Likely, the people you're trying to call on, we've talked to some of them. I would say, you know, go there, listen to those. Uh, we started these 229 events. 229, February 29th, 2020, was the first reported case of COVID to the CDC. And uh, things changed in healthcare, and we uh, saw a need for these smaller events where CIOs can have conversations with each other. We started those. Uh, those are sponsor-driven, and uh, we've had great, uh, in fact, our next four meetings are fully uh, booked with sponsors and uh, CIOs. And uh, they have been uh, really going well. Uh, it, it, I, look, I, I've, I've got about five, maybe 10 years left in this industry doing what I'm doing. I want to make sure that we move the needle forward in healthcare, whatever that looks like. If it's really pushing the needle on health and the health journey and really getting healthcare systems to get connected with, the, with my personal health journey. Uh, whatever that looks like moving forward, if uh, if that means uh, helping physicians ease some of the burden and the the, the cognitive load that they're they're experiencing with the use of AI, 
Uh, I want to see technology have a uh, an impact on how healthcare is delivered to uh, to me, to my kids, to my grandkids, moving forward in in the most positive way possible. So, if uh, if I can help in any way, if if um, if you feel like you can help me get a message out there, by all means, let's do it. Awesome. Well, Bill, thanks again. And thank you for the service that you're providing for this community. It's really important. And, uh, and you know, as we've said, technology has to be a part of the equation. Meaningful, powerful, effective technology has to be a part of the equation uh, that, that we have moving forward. And I appreciate the part that you're playing in helping connect that with the healthcare systems that need it so bad. So Bill Russell, thank you so much for joining us today on Healthcare Market Matrix. Thanks, John.